we dismiss them and kind of forget about them, but I'm thankful for uh, the ladies uh, who go, Miss Courtney and Miss Megan and Miss Shelby, who teach our kids on Sunday mornings. I'm thankful to those ladies and the, the ministry that they have. I just want to add one quick, not really, I don't really, I'm not into guns like that. That's, that's okay. We, you can have a lot of fun even if you aren't into guns. And if you don't own any guns, there will be plenty of guns there if you want to shoot guns. If you just want to come and hang out and eat food uh, with us, that there's gonna, we, we will have a wonderful time together. And if the cost is a problem, if you're looking and you're thinking, yeah, but I want to come and I've got three, two sons, you know, 300 bucks for a weekend, that's a lot of money, just talk to Lynn. Uh, we, will, we will make sure that there's a way for you uh, to go. And if you're a guest, you're not necessarily a member here at Liberty and you've visited some, you think, oh, I might enjoy being part of that you are welcome to come along with us on that as well. We've done that once before, and it was a lot of fun. So I hope you'll make plans to, to come and be part of that as well. I'm not starting my sermon yet, just so you know. This is, this is a pre-intro, okay? So what I'm doing right now is a pre-intro, and then I'm going to give you the intro before I start the sermon. Um, and my title has changed a little bit um, from what's on your bulletin there. The bulletin just says Sabbath. I want to change the title to this, Sabbath or Die. How's that for dramatic, right? I got your attention now. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to his young son, his disciple in the faith, Timothy. Paul's writing to his disciple, Timothy. And in chapter 3, verse 16, he says this about the Bible. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, when Paul is telling Timothy that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Think for a second. What Scripture is Paul referring to? Yeah, the Old Testament. right? The, Paul's writing what is part of what's going to become the new, what we know of as the New Testament. But when, when Paul is writing to Timothy about Scripture, what he's writing to Timothy about is what we know as Genesis through Malachi. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So Paul is saying all Scripture, all, everything in the Old Testament is profitable. And, I'm not, and for these four different things, that's not my focus at this moment right now. All Scripture is profitable. Okay, so, so save, push save, and hold that in your brain for a second. All Scripture is profitable. And now turn with me to Numbers. You're like, are we going to get to Exodus? Yeah, we're going to get to Exodus. Hang on. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15. It's in the New Testament, page 202. I mean the Old Testament, rather. And I'm sure your Bibles aren't numbered the way mine is. Book of Numbers chapter 15. Verse 32. Okay, all scripture is profitable. Paul was referring to Numbers chapter 15, verse 32, as part of that. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody. 
because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. All Scripture, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Paul is telling Timothy that even this event here in the book of Numbers is profitable for us. And we look at this story and go, that's one of those passages I'd rather ignore. Thank you very much. Please don't post that on the church website. That's probably not going to be on a t-shirt or a coffee mug anywhere. Like that's one of the parts of the Bible that's a little bit embarrassing, a little bit. I'm not even sure if I understand it properly, but whatever's going on there doesn't seem right to me. And so I'm going to ignore it. But brothers and sisters, this is part of the Bible. And what we're going to look at this morning, I think, is going to help us understand how even this passage of Scripture is, is profitable for us. I want you to hang with me this morning. There might come a point about halfway through my sermon where you're going, I gave up a Sunday morning to come and listen to him talk about this. I think as we get all the way through it, though, this morning, uh, you will be deeply blessed and glad that you gave some time this morning to God's Word and finding that all of it is profitable. Now, if you would, please. Now I'm starting. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. What we're going to learn in the book of Exodus is going to shed light on what we just looked at in Numbers and is going to prove what we first looked at in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And while you're turning to Exodus chapter 31, our verses for this morning are verses 12 through 18. My main point this morning is this. I'm just going to tell you what it is before we even read the passage. The rest that you need, the rest that your soul needs is found in Christ. The rest you need is found in Christ. And we mention this concept often here. Our souls need rest. Before we even look at this passage this morning, I want you to take a second and think about just you. Not even your spouse, your kids, your extended relatives. I want you to think about you for a second. And, and think about the weariness of soul that you may be experiencing. Now, I don't want to give you problems that aren't yours to worry about and aren't yours to think about, but I've been doing this pastor gig long enough now to know that everyone's got something that's heavy on their hearts. Your spouse may know, your spouse may not even know, but everyone, every single one of you, if you're old enough in here to understand the words that I'm saying, you know that this world is kind of full of things that are are fearful and challenging. You may have an upcoming job change that you're worried about, changes or challenges in your family that you're concerned about, parenting struggles that you're uncertain about, health concerns that you're worried about, financial uncertainty that you are uncertain about. 
a scary conversation that you know you need to have with your spouse, with your kids, with a coworker, with an employer, with an employee that's weighing heavy on you right now, wondering if you'll ever actually really fit in. You want to fit in. Will you ever have a friend that really knows you and understand you? Maybe you're experiencing anxiety or depression that you, you can't even quite put your finger on. You don't know why you feel the way you feel. You don't know why you have the struggles and the problems that you have, and you're sure that no one else experiences life the way you experience it. Fear of missing out, a desire for more in life, and you just have a lingering sense that something isn't right. And you, some of you may know, I know why I'm worried. And others of you think, I'm, I'm not sure why my heart feels weighed the way it does. And we are aware that our hearts need rest. And you know that even a vacation, as wonderful as a vacation is, if you're going to come back from vacation. You know you have to come back from vacation. You may be experiencing a really sweet period in your life right now where financially things are okay and things are good with you and your spouse and things are even good with you and your children, but you know that living in this world means that at any moment, at any moment, you could get a phone call that changes the trajectory, there's my hard word for the morning, trajectory, I think I said it right, I'm not going to try to say it again, of your life for the rest of your life. A simple drive from here to the grocery store could, you know, with a, with a car accident, could completely change your life for the rest of... We're aware that we live in a world that is dangerous, that is broken. We're broken. It's broken. You're broken. We break each other. We break God's laws. It, we're, we're, and we're aware that even when we feel relatively rested, that in the back of our minds, there's this threat even to that. We're aware that our souls need rest. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning might surprise us as I believe it leads us to rest in Christ for our soul's rest. So with all of that in mind now, Exodus chapter 31, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. This in end of chapter 31 is kind of concluding all of this word of the testimony that God has given to Israel through Moses. And it's interesting how God is now concluding it. He's saying, now, okay, I'm, I'm winding down. I've given you all the instructions on how to build. I've given you your law. I've given you instructions on how to build a tabernacle. I'm giving you men who are going to have special skills to know how to build a tabernacle. And now, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you. This is God speaking through Moses to Israel. Throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Remember the, what happened in Numbers? Here, here's, here's the beginning of what happened there in Numbers. Whoever profanes it shall be put to death still seems severe to me at this point. 
It seems severe. It's not going to seem severe by the time we're done with the sermon. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day. The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn, holy rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath, here it's reiterated again, does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Father, as we look into your word this morning, please help us to see that we can find the rest that our souls are in desperate need of in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. As we read through this passage this morning, as we look through this passage, I want us to notice three things about the Sabbath that I think will help us look forward, that I know will help us look forward to finding our rest in Christ. First of all, the Sabbath was a sign. The Sabbath was a sign. You say, how do you know that? Well, because this passage says it directly that the Sabbath is a sign. Look in verse 13. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you. It was a sign of this covenant that God had made with Israel through Moses. Sometimes we call it the Mosaic covenant. A covenant is a promise, and this is a sign of that promise. The day and the observance of the day is a sign. This last week, Angie and I celebrated 20 years of marriage. It seems like it has gone by like that. It has been awesome. I'm looking forward to another 60 or so. I think, I think that'd be long enough. Um, uh, 20 years of marriage. And for 20 years, I have worn something that has been a sign of that relationship that we entered into, that promise that we made to each other, those vows that we entered into with each other, the covenant that we made with each other. And you see it here on my hand, on my finger. In fact, I was trying to get it off last night. I can't remember the last time I even tried to get it off. And I thought, ooh, that, <clears throat> that, that baby ain't coming off. Um, I, I mean, maybe like with soap and water or something like that, but it's on there for good. That's the way I like it. I don't have any reason or intention of taking it off. The ring is not the relationship. It's a sign. It's a, it's a visible, outworked expression of this covenant that I've entered into with my wife. And God has given Israel a sign of this promise, a sign of this relationship. After God flooded the earth, there was a, a rainbow in the sky, and that was a sign of a covenant. When God chose Abraham's son Isaac, he had him circumcised. That was a sign of the covenant. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, he gave them a sign that they were his people and that they were set apart, and that was this special Sabbath day. It was a sign of several things. It was a sign that God's people were sanctified for him, that they were, that they were set apart, that they were made holy. And it says, I sanctify you holy. End of verse 13. The Lord sanctify you. Uh, uh, you are sanctified and you are, you are a holy people. You're a set apart people. You're different from the nations around you. They were set apart. The Sabbath day observance was different than all the other nations, and it marked the people of Israel as unique amongst the nations. 
it, it was a sign of their deliverance. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember, God delivered us. God, God rescued us from Egypt. And, and now uh, we are no longer slaves to the wicked Pharaoh and in Egypt. And, and Deuteronomy makes it clear that the, we know that. Therefore, the Lord our God commands us to keep the Sabbath day. It's a sign that they've been delivered. If someone has a, a, a POW sticker on the back of their car or a POW t-shirt or a POW hat, we want to ask them, POW, that stands for prisoner of war, right? Were you, were you a prisoner of war? It's a sign that they or, or maybe someone that they knew was a prisoner of war and, and they've been delivered. What they're wearing is a sign that they had once been enslaved and no longer are. And this Sabbath day was representative to the people of Israel. You once were slaves, and, and now you're not. Slaves don't get a day of rest, and the delivered people of God do. And then it was also a sign of rest. Look again in verse 15. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a day of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Verse 17, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And again, I said, slaves don't get to rest. One of the wonderful gifts that God gave to his people was the Sabbath. It signified that they could enjoy rest now. And I, I meant to say this earlier. I forgot. I, I skipped this part of my notes for some reason somehow. The word Sabbath we're using that word, and I'm just assuming that everybody knows what that word means. But the, the word Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease, to rest. Shabbat, Sabbath, stop. And so this stopping, this seventh day ceasing, this seventh day resting was a sign. But it wasn't just a sign. We also see in this passage that the Sabbath was serious, First of all, it was a sign. Secondly, the Sabbath was serious. The, the concept of Sabbath is, this is not the first time we've seen the concept of Sabbath in the book of Exodus. It's not the second time we've been taught about the Sabbath in Exodus. It is the third time we've been taught about the concept of Sabbath in the book of Exodus. And it is not the final time that we're taught in chapter 35. There's, uh, again, the reminder to observe the Sabbath. Um, and so the Sabbath is something that God is reiterating. Again, he says, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And then he attaches to this command in particular, he attaches the death penalty. That's, that's where I think we've got to stop and for a second and go, wait, what's, what's going on here? What's the significance? We know some bad people who do some bad stuff. In fact, Many of you this week have done something worse than gather sticks. All right, I mean, gathering sticks, what's, the, what's going on here? We're not going to read the, uh, the uh, passage in Numbers again, but, but remember what the, the people of Israel found the guy, and he's gathering sticks, presumably for fire, for firewood. He's gathering firewood. He's doing a little bit of work on Sunday. Maybe it's going to be cold that night, or he's trying to get ahead a little. No, that's, 
that's actually not what this guy was doing. He wasn't just out and kind of forgot or out and he's, uh, he sees some really great firewood and he thinks, you know, I'm going I'm to carry this home. What's going on here? Brothers and sisters, here, here is a man who lives in a community and that community, the sign of the promise that that community has with God is that we observe this day in a special way. We once had to work seven days a week, and God has given us this wonderful gift where we get to cease, we get to stop, we get to Shabbat, we get to Sabbath. God has given us this gift of Sabbath. And yes, you get some work done ahead of time on Friday, and then Saturday you get to enjoy God's world and enjoy God and rest from your labors. And what this man is doing He's, he hasn't forgotten what day it is. Friday night begins their Sabbath celebration. He, he lives in a community where everyone is resting together. This is a man. You can imagine him this way. Imagine this man walking out of his tent on the Sabbath day and shaking his fist in the face of God and saying, I don't care about this wonderful gift and this wonderful sign that you've given me. I'm going to do life my way. I don't care about how you've set things up between our nation and you. I don't like you so much. I'm not going to do things the way that you want me to do them. I am not ceasing. I'm not stopping. And I'm going to do life my own way. And you can see this guy reaching for the crown on the head of Jehovah God and pulling it off of God and putting that crown on his own head. And he's saying, I'm doing life my own way. That's what the stick gathering guy is doing. He's not just forgetful and, uh, you know, receiving unjust penalty for oh, poor guy. He, you know, he forgot. Give him, give him some slack. Give him a break. No, this is a guy who has removed the crown of authority off of the king and put it on his own. And he's walking around in the midst of God's people saying, look at me. I'm going to do life my own way. That's the guy who has broken covenant with God. He says, he, he, like, it's like me ripping the finger off, uh, the, the, uh, the ring off my finger, right? And, and, and taking 10 snips or something and cutting, breaking this, this thing in half in front of my wife, right? Like at that point, she has every reason to, well, yeah, reciprocate harmfully. What's that? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was thinking with much more modern equipment uh, that I have in my home that she may find to to uh, do away with me. Yes, yeah, that's right. And so that's what's going on in this occasion. Does that make sense? Does that make a little better sense to you now? So here is someone, he was taking, he was violating, he was standing in front of God's people and imagine him giving a wicked gesture to God in front of all of God's people. I'm not doing, I'm not doing life your way. The Sabbath was serious. And we're going we're gonna to come back to this story here one more time before we're done. Number three, the Sabbath was a shadow. The Sabbath actually was a shadow. I'm going to have you turn to one more passage. I think this is the last passage I'll have you turn to this morning. Colossians chapter 2. The, shadow, the, the Sabbath was important. The Sabbath was real. The 
Sabbath wasn't a final thing. The Sabbath was pointing, just like the tabernacle, just like the, 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 uh, the, the sacrifices, just like all of these other things that we're learning about in Exodus, they're, they're pointing us ahead to something else. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And that Sabbath there uh, that Paul's referring to for the Colossians, it, it may be referring to the, the one in seven day Sabbath. It may be referring to the uh, every seven year uh, festival of Jubilee or, or no, the festival of Jubilee was every, uh, every 49, seven times seven is 49, right? Yeah, every 49 years, right? There were, there were several different holidays um, and celebrations that were known as Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. We've talked before about how that marriage is an illustration. It's a shadow of the real thing, the relationship that Jesus Christ has with his bride. And the Sabbath is a shadow of a more real thing, the substance. Jesus is the real rest for our souls. The Sabbath is a shadow of that thing. It's a thing that we uh, are aware of and, um, and that Israel, uh, a sign that was given to Israel, but it was a thing that pointed to a more real thing. The rest that Israel needed was not merely one day off a week. They needed to be rescued from the inside out. And Jesus came and was the substance of the shadow. He is the one who put an end to striving. He made a sacrifice, and then what did he do? He sat down. Jesus made a sacrifice, and then he stopped. He ceased. He shabbated. He Sabbathed. And if you want that rest for your soul that we were talking about earlier, you must find your Sabbath in Christ. See, the death penalty for breaking the Sabbath in the Old Testament is actually the same penalty for breaking the Sabbath in the New Testament. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, hang on a second, Jeremy. What are you talking about? If I don't come to church on Sunday? Nope, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, what do you mean? Am I supposed to take Saturday off and not do any work on Saturday? I'm not talking about that either. If the Old Testament Sabbath was a shadow of the real thing, the substance, Jesus Christ, and if violating in the Old Testament led to being separated from God's people and, and death, then in the New Testament, to, to turn your back on the substance of the Sabbath, to turn your back on Jesus Christ, to shake your fist in the face of Jesus Christ, and to rip the crown off of his head and put it on your own and say, I'm going to do life my own way. Do you know what happens to that person? Do you know what happens to the person who stiff arms the substance the, the, the real Sabbath, what happens to the person who says no to Jesus Christ? The, the spiritual death penalty. They are separated 
from the people of God. And they are not stoned with stones physically, but spiritually they experience eternal separation from God in hell. The death penalty for breaking the Sabbath in the Old Testament is the same penalty for breaking the Sabbath of the New Testament, Jesus Christ. Israelites were separated and executed because of their rejection of the Sabbath, and you will be rejected. You will be separated and executed if you reject Christ as your ultimate Sabbath. You, too, will be separated and punished. This is eternal separation from God and the people of God in hell. We, like Israel, were slaves, slaves to sin, but God has sent Jesus Christ to deliver us. God has given us Christ in order for us to find the Sabbath that our souls are desperately in need of. We, we have sinned against. We've taken that crown off of the head of King Jesus and put it on our own. And to find him to be our Sabbath and to find the shalom that our souls are, are looking for is where we repent of that. And we take the crown back off of our heads and we say, God, forgive me for living life my own way and putting the crown on his head. I am putting my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what it is to look to Christ to be the Sabbath for you and your soul and to provide for you the, the, the rest for your soul. We find the rest for our weary souls in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the real Sabbath. Jesus himself said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath that Israel was longing for. I want to I read for you the story of Sabbath throughout the Bible. I did not write this. I wish I had written this. This is written by a theologian that I've come to enjoy. I'm going to read to you. It's a, kind of an extended, but I think you'll find it very interesting. The story of the Sabbath. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. In biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, fullness, completeness. We all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Right? Even when you get your nap on Sunday, you kind of, Sunday evening, you're like, oh, man, Monday's coming. Keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. I'm, I'm, you don't have to turn there. It begins, Genesis 1, begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And the phrase, there was evening and there was morning, doesn't appear on the seventh day. It's like a day without end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans who are appointed to rule the world with God forever kings and queens of the seventh day rest. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land until they die and return to the dust from which they came. 
But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh-day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But how? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who is grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt, and he liberates the Israelites, Exodus, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. He's taking them through the wilderness to the promised land. And now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost. Life is a struggle. They're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. How do you practice future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they're to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. Take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. This is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. It's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God and So they forfeited their chance for rest in the promised land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation. And they're led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would one day end and that the ultimate Sabbath of freedom and rest would come. But generations go by and they're still waiting. You know the what we call the 500 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. It's a dark day in history, and then Jesus appears. And Jesus launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. He reads aloud from the scroll of Isaiah, saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. He was talking about the ultimate Sabbath. Jesus is claiming that the seventh day rest would come through him. He said he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness in all of its forms, liberating people from sickness and sin and even from death itself. Notice Jesus timed timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested, his body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath. And on the eighth day, the first day of a new week, he rose from the dead the first day. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation. When God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise for future rest. We're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness where we experience struggle and we experience pain. But as we journey toward the ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him. Jesus is 
the Sabbath. Jesus is the rest that your souls need. Now, with all of this in mind, listen to what Jesus would say to you. Are you weary this morning? Is your soul, what's the opposite of rest? Weary? Hmm. Jesus says this. Hear this from him this morning. Come to me. All you who are what? Who are weary. Come to me. All you who are weary and you're heavy laden, and that might be with stuff that's external to you. You look at the circumstances of your life, or you might be weary and heavy laden with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. The Sabbath that Israel celebrated once a week was a form of rest, but it pointed to a greater rest. It pointed to a person. It pointed to Jesus Christ. And you will not find rest for your soul until your soul finds its rest in Christ. Israel's sign of the covenant was to stop. And there is coming a day for eternal Sabbath, a final, for God's people, a final stopping, a final ceasing, a final resting. I don't think that means no more work. I think we will work in eternity. But there will be for our souls a final Shabbat, an eternal Shabbat, a final stopping of labor and weariness. And when I say labor, I mean a laborious labor and weariness, and hardship, and slavery. And you can have that spiritually now. Have you come to Jesus Christ for the rest that your soul is in desperate need of? And I mean in salvation. Have you turned from sin and put faith in Christ? And Christian here this morning, where do you run for rest from your weary soul? Are you with him in his easy yoke. The rest you need is found in Christ. The Sabbath in the Old Testament finds its absolute and perfect fulfillment in the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is the rest for your weary souls. Please bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'll invite the music team to come back up. We're going to close with one final song. If you're here,